Jamie, we're here for West Coast Project to do the Mr. Robot podcast for season two, episode three. And I'm very happy to be here. Colonel Panic. Yep. We're a little late. We're catching up with our schedules and stuff. So hopefully after after this, we'll be back on track a little bit better. Yeah. Um, both, and we apologize. Both busy with stuff. But um, Jamie, a Colonel Panic is sometimes abbreviated as KP directly from Wikipedia. <laughs> is an action taken by an operating system upon detecting an internal fatal error from which it cannot safely recover. That is correct. All right, Jamie, do you have any thoughts on season two, episode three? Do you even remember it? Nope, I don't. I've watched it so <laughs> long ago. <laughs> we should get into our notes about it, and that will probably help us to kind of, you know, get get back to where we should be. Yeah, we'll just get into the episode. It's funny because it it's the second time of watching Mr. Robot because the first two were on the same night. It seems like so long ago. Yeah, it really, and you know, honestly, our audience should know that we've been on it, like we've been watching and we've been doing everything we're supposed to do. Um, just kind of, you know, technology got in the way, life got in the way. Um, you know, Mike and I almost got a divorce, and so, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jamie, TMI. <laughs> All, right. All right, Leslie. Romero's first name is Leslie. Oh, God. takes Mobley on the arcade tour takes him to the HQ arcade and he uh he tells him the history of the amusement park and it's fraught with evil stories yes that's right cursed it's haunted by murders bad luck and ill-placed criminal charges (laughs) that's correct uh which I guess he learned by his cellmate telling him this in, in his stint in jail yeah um yeah his cellmate was the guy who got really kind of framed um, for the murder of his brother and his father when he was taking a nap, but it was kind of unbelievable, you know, that the things had happened the way they did. So poor guy was in prison and had decided that uh, fun society was cursed. Yeah, if it's all true, although I guess Romero was a pretty, pretty reliable narrator for us. Yeah, I think so. Could believe what he says. Mm-hmm. He's siphoning electricity to run all those multiple uh, kino machines or ski ball machines, whatever they are, and he's trying to rent it out. He wants Mobley to rent it for uh, $2,500 a month, half of the going market rate. Um, yes, he and wants to try to make some money, try to avoid that situation of recidivism. But Mobley ain't renting. He's there recruiting on behalf of Mr. Robot or Elliot, one of the two. That's right. Uh, and they dropped the UN off of fun, and it's a story for another time. And what we're going to see happen to poor Romero, we may not ever hear that story, Jamie. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, I, I, um, I don't know if it's <laughs> my ADD or what it is that causes me to have a problem with the TV shows when they play a little bit too much with time. And so now, you know, I keep thinking, like, what? what's the situation like who's you know where are we what time is it and then i think you know like romero's dead so yeah where is that exactly in time like how much time went by and you know and all of that and then we still have the question about mobley's leg was he really the guy that's got the prosthetic or what yeah i get this is a weird podcast for us because we've seen two more into the future and, and and in the future mobley looks pretty thin coming up I uh, will comment about that when we get to that episode, but I think that was Mobley's leg, his artificial leg. Okay. I still think that. I don't know. I have any reason not to because I don't know who else it would have been. Yeah, me either. I don't know. All right, Jamie, we see a cool pan shot above Staten Island and some cool music and Elliot commenting on panic and fear burrowing into his brain. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we see that you were correct, Jamie. Tyrell does call Elliot, not Mr. Robot. Uh, at his mother's house, it appears to be, and not jail. Although that, that theory of is he in jail, is he in some sort of a mental institute, I think is still very much alive. I faded away from it. I thought it was, like, false. But after seeing the next episodes four and five, I think, it, I think I'm back on it. You think? Yeah. Okay. But those are for another time, another episode. Um, Elliot takes that call, which is from Tyrell. I, I'm certain it's Tyrell, or it's in his head Tyrell, but it's Tyrell. Um, and his mom's watching the news. So somehow his mom's there. 
uh, or in his mind she's there. <laughs> um, and Mr. Robot hangs up on the call while he's mid-sentence or mid midway through it. So what do you think, Jamie? Is Tyrell real? Is he dead and in Elliot's head? Or is he alive somewhere? Uh, one and three are the same. Is he, is he real and alive or is he dead and in, in Elliot's head? Uh, who? Mr. Robot? No, El, no Tyrell. Oh, okay. All right. So I, I am pretty sure that Tyrell is not Elliot. So I think that he is alive and somewhere. Interesting. Yeah. Mr. Robot asks him what he wants, and he simply answers, I want the panic to stop, but it, but it won't. He's going to go through this continuously. Um, uh, now, Romero's mother is complaining about banking and billing and credit cards, and Mobley shows up and just kind of, it looks like she's seen him before because she doesn't look too concerned that he just kind of lets himself in. Uh-huh. And he goes down out to the back and he finds Romero dead. And I thought it was interesting that his, his, he had a cute little nickname for Romero, calling him Rome. Rome, Rome. You all right, yeah. buddy? Yeah, and he said, he, I think he said Romy, too. And um, I, have a, I have an uncle um, that, who's nicknamed Romy. So I have an uncle, Romy. I thought that was pretty cool. You're right. Maybe it was Romy. Like I said, it's oh. been a while. I can't remember. No, I think, he said, I think he said a couple of different iterations of a nickname for him. All right, we see Ray taking dialysis now during breakfast. Uh, breakfast yeah. of bacon and eggs, pretty healthy portion of bacon and eggs. Right, yeah. I don't think Ray is taking his uh, dialysis, and it, I guess it's like, a, what is that, kidney failure or something, um, very seriously, because I don't think you're supposed to eat like that. <laughs> well, it's a very we weird scene because he's also talking to somebody who's not there, his wife, uh -huh. and uh, has brought her flowers Flowers are there, but the wife's not there. Yeah, he's keeping his relationship with her. And we find out later um, a little bit more detail about that. And I thought it was interesting. All right, so we go back to their meeting place, the basketball game. Elliot and Leon are there. And Leon gives him some Adderall. And yeah, Mr. a lot Ro of Adderall. Yeah, like he has a plan. Uh, Elliot has a plan to, to rid himself of Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot shows up. And Elliot says that very thing. Now it's time to get rid of you and shows him the Adderall pills. Yep. All right. Then he sees this creepy Undertaker guy in the streets and he's abducted. This is a pretty scary scene. Um, we don't see very much more of that right in here. And we, we duck off to another scene. Um, uh, an opera singing beggar on the train. Pretty interesting cut. Really quick cuts of scenes. It's like another what the hell is going on here? Um, when we see it for the first time and don't know, it's very mysterious. That's right. Um, and Mobley's on the train, too. He's worried about the cops walking past him. Uh -huh. um, and I remember thinking why, wondering why. He hasn't really done anything wrong. Uh, I thought he might have been bringing something to Romero, some drugs or some seeds for his pot business or something that he shouldn't have had on him. Right. But, but um, that's, not, that's not what it is. Why, why do you think he's so worried about those cops? He's worried about them because he's freaked out. He's feeling paranoid. Um, he had a conversation with Trenton about it um, later in the episode where he, they are talking about the FBI being involved in this. Um, and, the, well, I don't know if it's the FBI involved in it. I think it's the fact that this is the second death or the first death that's associated with what's happened. And I think the fact that... Um, that uh, Jerome is dead. Jerome, right? No. What's Leslie. His name? Leslie um, is dead is problematic for them because, you know, the more fallout there is, the more the police and law enforcement is going to be involved in it. And I think that's why he's freaked out. Well, he is DJ Magic Mobley on the, on the end of the world party poster that the police have found or the FBI has found. Yeah, so he's worried, I guess, what is known about him. So I guess, but, you know, I guess. Uh, but why would they be looking for him on the train? Well, um, okay, so maybe they're looking for him on... No, no I, I mean, I, they're not. But maybe he's just worried and freaked out and that doesn't occur to him, like, you know. Yeah, but, just paranoid. Yeah, because if you're, if you're... If you did something really, really awful... 
you know, I think that um, the amount of paranoia you might have might be um, proportional to the <laughs> to the badness of the deed you did. Not me, Jamie. <laughs> no. Well, he does meet Darlene, and that is the very first thing she asks him: is, is has anyone seen him or followed him? And he says, "Just Mama, just just uh, Romero's Mama." And I wondered at the time, Jamie, if she wanted her eliminated, if if Darlene wanted Mama eliminated from the scene. Nah. I don't think so because um, she was uh, she's innocent. I mean, she doesn't have anything to do with the, you know with any of that stuff. Like she doesn't know anything. Yeah, she doesn't seem like she's in much of the know of anything. Nah. All right, we see more of Elliot tied to a chair and forced to swallow a big, big serving of cement. Yeah. Oh God, it's so awful. Uh, from a red wheelbarrow, by the way. Yeah. Uh, we had that red wheelbarrow is. reference on his notepad. That's right. And pixelation and static. There's some interesting use of static and pixelated scenes in this uh, show. Um, I'm not quite sure what they all mean, but it it seems interesting that they come in in some pretty dramatic parts of the story. Well, I think that probably um, we're seeing that because Elliot is so freaking high on that Adderall that he, you know, we're experiencing like the glitches that are kind of going through his mind. He's like super duper high right now and going on very little sleep. The next scene, Jamie, is him vomiting right in front of Mr. Robot and Mr. Robot saying, I am the scream in your mind and I own you. Uh, yeah. Then Elliot re-eats those pills. Right. Just... And that was that scene that you and I spoke about that I was saying that I thought was so um, interesting because Mr. Robot is really Elliot's dad. And so if we kind of like separate ourselves from the idea of Elliot like being there and being insane, then, you know, Mr. Robot is... Um, you know, witnessing his kid do this crazy stuff and, you know, Elliot's posture and everything in that scene just seems so childlike, you know, he's being obstinate and he's, you know, rebelling and doing what he wants to do instead of what his dad might advise or, you know, try to enforce. Um, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting, but it is Elliot's version of Mr. Rob. It is Elliot's version of his dad viewing him. Right. It's not really his dad. It is somewhat mind-bending. It is. It's crazy because it makes you realize, like, how exhausting it's got to be to be a person who's got all that going on inside your head. So next we see Angela at Evil Corp at Price's office. He wants the Fox News Network, not Bloomberg which she has already kind of deftly set up, Bloomberg, which apparently is the best one of all the, all the networks. And he doesn't want that. He wants Fox. But she stands up to him. She counters. And he asks her to sit and talk to him for a bit. Um, That's right. Um, she, she has that moment of, like, thinking, oh, gosh, I, I don't know if I should say anything. And then you see her try to gather her courage. And then she turns around and says, you know, we really should go with Bloomberg. And, um, you know, he agrees with her and says, have a seat. And then we go into that um, part of the scene. Yeah. When he says he wants Fox and not Bloomberg, she's about ready to walk back out of the door, out, out of the office and just just give up. But she stands her ground. I really like that. Yeah, I liked it, too. All right. Then he very creepily asks her to come to dinner with him, Jamie, at Fidelio's for some semi-Alfredo. Um, uh, semi-fredo. Or semi-fredo? Mm hmm I thought it was semi-alfredo. Semi-fredo is a dessert. Okay. It, it means, like, partly frozen. Uh, and then he agrees that she was right in the first place. So she, he kind of compliments her that maybe I will listen to you. Maybe your idea is better than mine. I will go with Bloomberg. So, Jamie, what's the what and why of this? This is a flirting power move that it seems like he's introducing her inviting her anyway to a dinner that might have some romantic connotations even if, even if they're just kind of sexual power and she's ready to use it i think she's ready to step into that and use it well you're right um and you know the thing about it and that was kind of crazy to me and interesting to me and just made me um, think about Sam Esmail as being just really a fantastic writer um, is that, you know, I am a woman. I'm, you know, um, 
a young woman who, who works in, you know, um, the business world. And my take um, on that scene was that he was making a move, like the guy was asking her, um, you know, out to dinner and that there was going to be something romantic that would come of it. Um, well, if not romantic, then physical, <laughs> um, that would come of it. And, um, you know, that she would, was supposed to then ready herself for, you know, whatever that would be. And I was really, um, you know, surprised. I, it was really strange. And I wonder about all the women who were watching this episode, if I, I would probably bet, I, I would guess that probably 99% of us, if not more, <laughs> you know, all thought the same thing. Yeah, I don't know if romantic's the right word. I, I brought up the word romantic. It's more of a, it's more of an exchange of sex for something. It, it's sex in exchange for some sort of reward. Corporate, yeah, corporate or, sponsorship or moving up the ladder. Yeah, maybe. Or, or maybe. Or maybe she, you know, likes him in a weird way. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't think romantic either. I would think. But maybe it's not just like a quid pro quo. Or maybe it's, you know, maybe there's some element of it where she likes him or respects him for his mind. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I guess it could be a turn on, but it doesn't seem to be romantic. It's kind of a no. It's kind of a it's a sexual power thing. Like, ooh, it's cool. I'm with this older, powerful guy. It's, yes, it's, it's fl flirt. It's a turn on. It's not really romance. That's right. All right. So she sees this uh, painting in in Price's office of the assassination of Vice Duke Ferdinand, uh, which is the event that in history most people in history recorded as the start of World War One. Um, yeah. Small event, pretty small event. This guy wasn't that big of a deal, but it led to a pretty huge result. So what do you think the correlation is to that event and that little interest in the painting to our story here with Mr. Robot? Okay, so, um, you know, I think probably the only thing that I can equate from the episode um, would be, you know, what happens to Gideon. Um, and so... That was last episode. So, like, Gideon, um, you know, is shot in the neck, and that sort of sets off a whole series of events, right? Um, yeah, it's funny because we, we, the reason we're late is we had some technical glitches on this podcast. We tried to do it before, and we got to about this point. So it's weird talking about this stuff twice. Mm -hmm. But I think I remember you saying that, and I, then I re what I think it might be is the the parallel to the Mr. Robot story is Angela and Elliot as kids and how whatever happened to their parents happened and them remembering it and them trying to take care of it now. So it's a, it's a relatively small thing for their parents to be made ill or killed by this evil corp in the big scheme of everything evil corp does. But, mm -hmm. but what Elliot and Angela are now doing or seem to be doing could be huge uh, as a result of those events with their parents. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there are so many ways to look at it. Um, I, I think it's fascinating um, because it didn't even occur to me like that. When I watched um, the episode the first time through, um, you know, I saw the, the, the piece of art on the wall and um, I heard the conversation between the two of them. But it took another watch for me to actually for it to hit my mind that, you know, that might have some relevance to something metaphorical that's happened. It's got to be some sort of a metaphor because it price doesn't really bring up like, oh, I'm a I'm a I'm totally into collecting World War One memorabilia and art. And he's not a history buff or anything. It's just kind of a symbol of something. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's possible that, you know, maybe it's just. The idea um, for Angela of toppling, you know, the monster and then having um, or toppling the, you know, the leader and then having, um, you know, World War Three sort of set off as a result, as a consequence. Yeah. Pushing over that first domino. Yeah. All right. Dominic now reads about the uh, about Gideon's death in the bar and she's got some crazy stuff she does at night she's, she's got a joyable app to help her overcome her anxiety yeah uh, she talks to her computer interface alexa that's right uh, she's getting ready for her day at four in the morning jamie lots of coffee she's drinking cup after cup of coffee 
Yeah, she can't sleep. She's got insomnia. And uh, so she figures she may as well go ahead and get up because, you know, sleep isn't going to happen. And so then she starts chugging the caffeine, trying to make sure she's got enough to get through the day. She listens to country music, too, while she get she gets ready. Mm-hmm. The Highwayman. Yes. Pretty interesting. But she looks pretty unhappy here. She's uh, She does not look like e- eager, eager beaver to get up and tackle the day. She just looks like she's going through the motions. Yeah, kind of, you know, doing her morning ritual. I don't know. I like morning rituals. I think um, that's probably one of the more enjoyable parts of my day. She didn't seem to be having a great time, but um, <laughs> that's what it put in mind my morning thing. And I actually get up every day at 4 a.m. Well, she has she can't sleep, so it's got to be kind of a drudgery for her to get up that early after not having slept well. Yeah, it's got to suck. I don't know how people like that live. I, I usually don't ever have trouble sleeping, so I can't relate. Very yeah, well. I do too. I totally have trouble sleeping. Really? She has bad social anxiety too. She only meets people online, and she meets them in these creepy ways. And she she seems like like kind of an odd odd social duck. She doesn't really mesh well with society. Yeah, makes you wonder because, you know, we we find out a little bit more about her as the series unfolds, as the season unfolds. And, um, you know, she's an interesting character. She's a really, really great character. And she's played um, deftly by uh, Grace Gum, who is uh, the daughter of uh, Meryl Streep. Hmm, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, she's one of the female people that I like in this show. I do not like the, most of the other females. Frankly, I don't like Joanna at all. I don't like Angela really very much at all. And I do not like Darlene at all. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't like any of them. Um, but I do like her. So it's interesting. We're trying to take inventory of her safe. She breaches into her safe a couple times, pulls out her badge. Looks like her phone, a gun... And some sort of storage tapes seem to be stacked up in there, uh, like like data tapes labeled with the months on them. Yeah. We didn't really figure that out at this point in the story, but they're in there for some reason. Yeah. All right, so she goes to Romero's at this crime scene of Romero's murder, and sneezy guy, there's a sneezy cop there giving her an update. Right. Um, she sees her name on a list of leaked FBI agents that Romero had. And yes. uh, in the background, another doofus forensic agent or cop shorts out the booby-trapped Ethernet port on a on a desktop computer. Yeah, that's right. He um, he, <laughs> she was trying to warn the other cop Sneezy about um, making sure that they don't uh, put any thumb drives in or you know try to pull any data off because there could be um, like a trap door, um, and certainly they went through it and so burned everything up so they go to they go to trenton's next trenton is the muslim chick right the uh f society group Uh coder chick and darlene and mobley are talking to her and talking about what's happening and they think somebody's killing off f society one by one and they wonder if it might be the dark army jamie Right. And I love this scene. Um, You and I talked about it before. I was telling you that this scene is just really, really funny. Um, But you have to know some stuff in order to get the humor in this scene. Um, And, you know, the part of it that was really um, (laughs) hilarious to me is like Darlene is standing there. The scene opens and she's got this book in her hand and she's like leafing through it like it's a magazine, like it's, you know, Vogue or something. She's kind of, you know, making the pages go by, go by, go by, go by, go by. And um, if you're paying attention and you know a little bit about um, religion, you see that's the Quran she's holding. And it's like really, 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 you're not supposed to handle that book like that way. It's like a super duper holy book. And um, (laughs) when um, Trenton's mom comes into the room, Darlene just like tosses the book down like she would a magazine and it was just it was funny like the the whole scene was really humorous but it was kind of I don't know maybe like a nudge or an inside joke all right so Trenton we find did not like the burning the money trick that they did uh, but Darlene thinks it worked she thinks it killed the confidence of the people that saw it and um, Mobley's still worried about the dark army he's gonna take off and leave he's gonna quit the scene Jamie head off to Arizona yeah, well, I don't blame him. Yeah. 
Well, Darlene doesn't care much for the Quran. She also doesn't care much for Arizona. Uh, she says, compared to Arizona, death is not much of a downgrade. <laughs> yeah. Darlene's not the most... She's not, she's not the brightest candle in the candelabra. She tends to be a little dark. I think she's pretty bright. I think she's... No, pretty... no, 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 no. I mean bright like in terms of mood. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Not brains. She's she's a smart girl. She's not a happy girl. Yeah. Southern Mobley says I don't trust her or her brother. They're covering our tracks, and we're the tracks. They're covering tracks, and we're the tracks. He says that to um, Trenton, right? Yes. About Darlene and Elliot. That's right. All right. So Ray is now talking to some guy. I don't even know who this guy is, but says life is a balancing act. Even if we pay handsomely, it doesn't matter if your physical condition is not well. And then that guy's beaten up with his family kind of cowering behind him. Or he's been beaten up. He's, he's physically injured. Okay, so this is like that um, programmer guy. He's, he is the guy that Ray wanted to do the hack that he needs done. And, um, you know, he ends up getting somebody else to do it, we know. Um, in the future, but at the moment, this is the dude, and the dude can't do it, and he's telling Ray that it can't be done, or either in this scene or the next scene that we see them, but yeah. Ray's uh, stature, as far as being a nice guy, is slippery, slippery sliding down the slope pretty quickly here. Yeah, he's not a nice guy, and um, we don't know it. Like, we don't really know where to place him when we meet him initially, and so, you know, we get to know a little bit more about him, it seems, um, every episode or so. And uh, now we know a whole lot about him. But at this point in time, we're not super sure, you know. Like, I, I don't know in that scene if he's, you know, responsible, um, you know, for a lot of what's happening, you know, with this programmer guy and, you know, other things or what. Yeah, but at this point, we're getting some pretty heavy clues. I mean, he's smirking around the guy with his family, cowering in fear. He's not saying, oh, dude, what happened to you? we got to get you. we got to make sure this doesn't happen again. we got to take care of you. He's, he's implying that that threat is going to continue and even get worse unless he performs what he needs from him. Right, but that's he, at that point, I thought, well, maybe he's just an enforcer. Like, he's not, you know, the, he's not like the boss man. Like, right. Yeah, I, I think he's slipping pretty fast to me. I mean, he was pretty nice at the beginning of Mr. Robot, and he was super nice in the office. So, <laughs> Anyway, so um, he tells him, you got to take care of yourself. Physical condition is, is important, but he knows the guy's been beat up because of probably his orders, and his, his wife and child are right there watching it. Yeah, uh, so great. the website's been down. The guy's not capable of fixing it, which maybe the guy should have pretended he could fix it a little bit harder or fake the faked Ray out or something. Um, but apparently he can't fix it. It needs to be migrated to a new website. And um, all, all along the way during this, the Bitcoins keep getting emptied from their account. Uh, and they, some, they need something called hot and cold wallets. Do you know anything about Bitcoins and their storage and their accountability, Jamie? I really don't. Um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you anything with any sort of understanding. I don't deal with Bitcoin. Sorry. Maybe the most common thing that people understand is that the website has to be moved to a new website that's not damaged or, you know, they can start afresh or something. Um, Ray appears to pity the guy, but it's, he's probably just mostly discouraged that the guy didn't perform what he needed. He's not very sympathetic to this guy. Right. And it, uh, so, I mean, so here's my question, though. I think I feel like maybe Ray is an enforcer. Maybe he's a he's an enforcer who has a lot of authority. But don't you feel like maybe there's somebody behind him like he answers to someone? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Like he might be some mid-level lieutenant, not just yeah. a not just a strong arm, but he's kind of mid-level in some scheme. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even know that three episodes ahead. I still don't know what he is. I don't know. I got the feeling at the end of the last episode um, that we saw, which is the end of episode five, um, that we know a little bit more, but we can talk about it when we get there. So when Ray leaves, the uh, guy he leaves with appears to be the strong arm guy that beat this other computer guy up. 
Right. Um, and it's super hot outside. They, they drive off. Ray's all kind of bossy to this guy. So Ray does have one level of uh, superiority above the strong arm level because he's this, the strong arm guy appears to follow his orders. Yeah, kind of. All right, Ellie wakes up. Elliot wakes up and tells us that 200 milligrams of Adderall has eliminated Mr. Robot. He's very happy about that, Jamie. Yes, he is. He's very chipper. His steps are quickened. He's, his life is bright and happy. He enjoys basketball and Seinfeld and washing dishes. And <laughs> he's talking to everybody. And he's like, amen, woo slam dunk. He's all happy about everything he sees. M- way more animated than the Elliot we've seen in a year and a half of this show. Yeah, he's in a great mood. But this ends in more static, <laughs> interestingly. And Elliot saying, you're not buying this, are you? Right. Uh, and then he runs out of pills, and we see what happens. That's right. He's coming down from the no-sleep high. Now, he had to have a better plan than this, right? He knew he was going to run out of pills eventually. Yeah, I don't think he had a plan. I think he's a drug addict. <laughs> so he's, like, you know, just doing what he can to escape. But if the plan works to get rid of Mr. Robot by the Adderall, then you got to keep the Adderall coming. Maybe. I don't know. Well, as he runs out and he gets sober from it, his fingers are pixelated and there's more static. And Leon talks to him backwards. <laughs> uh, uh, his eyes are all funky and dilated. Um, it's, it's, I guess, his internal error, right? His kernel panic is this That's right. event with Adderall. Yep. And it's also prevented him from sleeping six days without sleep. That's right. And there's no panic settling in. It's just there. He's always got panic. Yeah. All right, Jamie. Angela's preparing now for this date with Price. Um, yep, she's getting all ready. She's getting a little sexed up here. She's making herself look pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look like the typical date, okay, I'm going out to see the boss to go over the file system. She's making herself look attractive. Yes. In fact, she's even giving herself those affirmations. You're likable and attractive and beautiful. Yep. She's ready. All right. She saunters into Fidelio's amidst uh, protesters on the street. Um, Mm -hmm. Remember that money has run out and all people can get is $50 a day from ATMs or banks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's fighting her way through this uh, angry crowd in the street. She walks in there and she's a little disappointed that it's not her and Price. It's her and Price and two other dudes. Right. She comes in and she's very surprised to see the atmosphere, um, the direct atmosphere of the table, because she's thinking candlelight and what she walks in on looks like a business meeting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Price has to prepay the meal because of the cash situation. That was pretty funny. Yeah. And we pretty soon see his scam. He's setting up Angela to meet these guys who are initially great guys, family guys, and then they're all of a sudden evil fucks. They were there when her parents were harmed by this chemical. That's right. When she was a child. Jamie, do you think Price took the right route to accomplish all this with Angela? It's pretty sophi- it's a pretty sophisticated caper for him to get this across to her. Oh, I think it was expertly executed by price i i think he did it he did a great job because you know his intent was to well okay so i will say i think that probably most powerful people um take a certain amount of pleasure in keeping the people around them off their off their bearings and i think that's probably something that price does and does well and I think that, um, you know, it may have been rote for him to, um, you know, set the scene the way that he did. Um, you know, and, it may, and, and, you know, he admitted having a sort of, um, you know, kinship with her or admiration for her or whatever it was, you know, the respect that he showed earlier in his office. And so maybe this was just, you know, a moment for him to, you know, show her once again you know, I'm the one who's running things here. Like, I'm the one who's, you know, who's the boss. And, you know, you're going to do what I tell you to do. I want you to do this thing. And, you know, I can't force you to do it, but I'm going to make it irresistible for you, basically, kind of thing. So, yeah, I think he 
orchestrated all of that. Yeah, I think you're right. He was kind of relishing it. And it, it wasn't just Angela. He was relishing these other guys who were probably lapping it up that they're great family guys and all this, and he's about to shoot him in the back. Yeah. All right, we go now to Dominique's house, and Happy Hard Henry is talking to Deep, Deep Steep uh, on some cyber sex chat line. And uh, Dominic, Dominique is Deep Steep. Uh, who knows? God knows who Happy Hard Henry is. Uh, and she asks Alexa, when is the end of the world? And Alexa answers her several, several billion years in time. And she goes back to her safe and pulls out her phone to check something. Her name? Uh, what? Her, she checks on something. Her name comes up, Dominic DiPiero. Um, is this service to the audience to make something clear to us that went over my head? I think that was evidence. I think she was looking at photos of the evidence again, like the one that had her name on it that they took a picture of at um, at uh, Jerome's. The FBI agent list. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we're clear now. She's on that list. We saw it twice now. Um, mm -hmm. All right. Elliot and his notebook are with the church group, and the Adderall is all gone. Mr. Robot's going to be coming back pretty quick because the Adderall's gone. Um, there's some guy in the group making fun of an Indian accent. Somehow he punched the Indian clerk and hated him because he was Indian. Um, and the, the group leader asks Elliot to participate. And he thinks to us, he says to us, the audience, no, my system is hung. Uh, and the group leader tells him, God will help you. So, Jamie, are you buying in that this... Any of these theories that this is either a hospital he's in or prison and it's some sort of a institutionalized group that he's in with this church group? No, I think it's reality. Yeah, it's interesting that the that religion has popped its head up a couple times here with the Koran and um, this, the church group. Uh-huh. Uh, interesting. And I'm kind of thinking at the time I was wondering, like, what's Eshmael up to here? Well, I don't know, because, um, you know, there are some religious themes throughout this season. Um, I can't recall if we had any of that stuff going on last season. I don't think that there was. But in the opening um, two episodes for the season, there was that big Bible quote. Do you remember? We talked about it. It was at the end. It was the last um, dialogue at the end of, um, I think it was episode uh, two, so it was like the second half of episode, like, like of the premiere episode. What was the quote? What was the reference? Oh gosh, it was the one about the alpha, the alpha and the omega. Oh yeah, I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Yeah. Hmm. But Elliot's asleep through that. And in this particular visit at the church group, Elliot says a pretty strong comment about. He's pretty godless. I don't think he subscribes to any religion. I don't either. Um, because he says, he says, why didn't God help my innocent friends and punch those who harmed them? Or why does he have wars in his name? Racist phobia soup, the racist phobia soup we all drown in. All religion is exclusive groups created to manage control. It's a drug of hope. It hits, it hits of bullshit. You get hits of bullshit from religion. Mm -hmm. Religion is meant to divide and rule us. I don't listen to my imaginary friend. Why should I listen to yours? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please tell me I didn't say that out loud. He says that to us or thinks that to us. And then mm -hmm. he leaves and throws the book away. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty harsh. It was pretty brutal. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think this is our obligatory once a season, Elliot, um, <laughs> destroys everybody with a with a monologue uh, scene, so um, it wasn't as eviscerating um, and destructive as the experience he had with um, with uh, Krista last season. But it was excellent writing, and I really enjoyed it. All right, back at Fidelio's, we see the culmination of Price's caper. It's Angela and the and the two guys. Price excuses them and then disses them after they've left, makes fun of them in front of Angela. 
says they manipulate insider trades. And by the way, they were in the room with Colby when they covered up your hometown's leak and gives Angela evidence on the CD enough to put them away for years. Um, and Angela tells him she doesn't trust what he's doing. She, she shouldn't, really. She doesn't trust what Price is up to here. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, you're panicking. I understand it's a big decision. These men's lives will be destroyed. But the minute you remove emotion, you'll do just, you remove emotion, you'll do just fine. Yep. So he's a little condescending to her here. Trying to teach her to be ruthless like he is, I guess, or he wants her to be. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if he's trying to teach her a lesson that she can benefit from or if he's just trying to get her to do what he wants, um, you know, to have done. And um, she's serving a purpose. Well, then Price excuses himself and leaves. There is no sexual expectation. There is no power play here. Um, Do you think he accomplished his mission, Jamie? Or did Uh you at the time? Yeah, I think so. All right. Um... Elliot goes to the diner, and Ray shows up with his notebook, the notebook he threw away. Uh, That was what he threw away at the church, by the way, his notebook. Mm -hmm. And Ray says, you may want it back down the road. Uh, I've been there before. Um, And we learned that it's been five years and seven months since his wife died, since Ray's wife died. He started out frozen in grief, and then one morning he started talking out loud and did it again the next day and the next and the next, and... Uh, pretty soon he was kind of back on track. And he says to Elliot, you and me are more alike than you think. Yeah. Yeah. And he says the thing about, um, talks about uh, imagination and reality, doesn't he? Doesn't he make a comparison? Um, like he says something like, uh, um, no, he, t- he says something like maybe you're, um, you ever think about the fact of, you know, seeing your um, imaginary friend, um, that maybe it's not bad, maybe it's um, God or something like that. Doesn't he say that? I don't remember that. I don't remember him doing that. Maybe he does it in the uh, next conversation. Okay. Uh, but I remember wondering if Ray is now, is Ray a part of Elliot's imagination? Ah. Jeez, everybody I see, I'm thinking, is this guy just dreaming this crap? But I don't think he is, knowing what I know now. But I wondered it at the time. Mm-hmm. All right, back at Romero's, Dominic is there again, uh, knocks and gets Mama. Um, and by the way, she has to go past lots of garbage in the street. Jamie, remember we talked about that? How amazing uh-huh. it is in New York that the garbage is magically taken away? Yes. <laughs> There's another huge pile of garbage. I don't know if it's the same one or in fresh, a week's gone by or whatever, but it's just, a, it's just a, amazing to me still. Uh-huh. Uh, um, yeah, you say that. What's that? I said, I remember you saying that, that was, um, you know, we talked about that a little bit, how, um, you know, the garbage goes away and um, where does it go? <laughs> yeah. How do they do it? Yeah. Uh, Mama doesn't want to talk to Dominique, Dominique, but she gets a joint rolling gig with Mama. She's going to help her roll some joints because uh, her fingers are hurting from arthritis. Right. She can't do a good job. And Leslie used to take care of that for her. She's got to move. She can't stay among all those memories. Um, we learned a little bit about Romero. She, she says how he's fooled around with computers since he was a little boy. Uh, and the only friend he had was that chubby boy, I guess, Mobley? Um, yeah. Although I didn't put Romero and Mobley close in age. It must have been, though. Well, I don't know about that because, um, you know, it could have been that just, uh, you know, Mobley was coming around, you know, when they were both adults, and that would have meant that all it would have to be is that Mobley was, you know, 18 or 20 or whatever it was when they first met. Romero was a man, and Mobley was a boy learning computers and stuff. Maybe. Could have been, yeah. Uh, let's see. So, Mama asked for water, and Dom looks for a glass, and when she's looking for a glass, uh, she sees... Uh, my mom, I can't see anything because she's got cataracts, can't really see what, what Dominic's doing. Mm-hmm. But she finds the uh, printed code, uh, printed computer code, and uh, the party playbill with DJ Magic Mobile or whatever his DJ name was. Yep. Um, why would they leave these pieces of evidence ro- running around, Jamie, floating around? Well, I don't think they must have realized it was evidence, and that stuff was packed into boxes, like um, 
Romero's mom had had used those papers to wrap her glassware. And so, you know, that was in boxes. I know that, but why would they... Okay, first of all, I listened to the Bald Move podcast. Those guys do a really good job on the show. Bald Move has a Mr. Robot. They asked, why would Romero print out code? Why would uh, anyone ever print out code? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that um, Romero necessarily printed that. Or maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. At the time, I think I was thinking, like, I can't remember what it actually looked like because it's been so long um, since we watched the episode. But I, I remember looking at it and thinking, well, maybe I could understand why they would have that. I don't remember what it was, but I wasn't incredulous, like, at the idea. So I don't remember what it was, though. So, hmm. yeah. I took I took those guys' point with a with a lot of uh, momentum because they were both coders. They were both like into computer coding before they became podcasters. Oh. So they 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 said, you know, we're both coders. We never I've never printed a page of code in my life. There's no reason for it to do it. No, there literally isn't a reason to do that. Uh, and that, I think that's why when I was looking at the page, um, I was thinking it was something else. That there was something else to that. Uh, but I can't remember. I would have to go back and look at it. So I don't know. All right. So we go to a scene again with Ray and Elliot. Elliot thinks out loud or thinks whatever, thinks to us, what what do I do? And Ray asks why he has this journal. And Elliot says, I thought it was the right answer to controlling my life. And Ray says, my wife drove her car that day. Everything right. It was no, it was nothing how right she, Sorry, it was note, either noting or nothing. Can't even remember from my notes from so long ago, Jamie. Uh, that one day, none of it mattered. I guess his wife was killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, control is as real as a one-legged unicorn taking a leak at the end of a double rainbow. So it's just a fantasy. Right. Right. Uh, when you fall, you got to get up. Nah, I reject it. The whole thing is a state. Uh, grasping in the dark, state of grasping in the dark. We need to stumble in the right direction. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's... Um, it, was, it, it, it was interesting. I think that the... Um, yeah, I think that the, the writing was a little bit... a little ornate. You know, it was a little bit over the top, maybe indulgent. Um, you know, I get it, but I don't know if uh, Ray needed to be that philosophical or poetic, and you know what he was trying to say. Um, I don't know. I, you know, uh, that's all I can say about that. Scene. Ray asked him to play chess, and, I, and my next note is I do not trust Ray in my notes about this episode. Oh, I yeah. start to really believe that I should not trust Ray. Uh, but there's one other thing Ray asks. He says, Wh- whoever you write about in your journals, do you still see him? And then ask him to play chess. I, that, I, that just made me not trust Ray at all. It's convinced me that Ray is on the evil side of whatever he's up to is not good. It's not, it's not helping Elliot. It's bad for Elliot. Because he, because he asked him if he still sees whoever it is? Yeah, and he's, and he's kind of uses his wife's death as a lesson for Elliot that... You just need to stumble in the right direction. There's no control. He wants Elliot to believe that for a reason that will serve him somehow. I don't know. I just don't. I get a feeling not to trust him at this point. So he says, I don't know, because, you know, it's like he's got a real understanding of Elliot. Because he says to him, like, um, whoever it is you wrote about in your journal, do you still see him? Um, and then he says, I can tell the person you're writing about meant something to you. And then he says, like, sometimes he takes over. Like, he really kind of gets it. Like, he gets it. And, um, oh, this is the part where um, that I was referring to and I couldn't remember. Well, he says something like, he says, uh, yeah, sometimes he takes over. Is that why you don't remember things? And then... Um, like Elliot says, I don't want to talk about this. And then Ray's like, yes, you do. Um, cause if, cause you're smart enough to know that keeping this in isn't going to last. Well, then Elliot thinks to us, 
It's interesting how they involve us as the audience in this conversation a lot of times. But Elliot thinks to us, what do you think? Is Ray right? It's not avoiding the crash. It's just finding a point to fix and move on towards it. Find a point to fix on and move, move on towards that point. Hmm. Just to exist, just to keep going, just, you know, just like to, there's no control, so you just got to stumble in the right direction. Yeah, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty forlorn way of running your life. Well, I mean, then that's the thing that's, that's so awful because his life is really desperate. When, you, when your internal reality is like, what do you call, like a free-for-all, I mean, you know, what do you have but madness and stress? And then the final s scene in this episode is Dominic finding Dominique finding F Society. That's right. All right. So that was the end of episode three. Well, the numbers you know, are all messed up. The one that we recorded was so much better. You know, we enjoyed that one so much more. Well, we didn't get this far in it. Yeah, I know. But we got close. We didn't get like, I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe I'll play the beginning of it. But that was the end of episode 2.1, which is episode three, <laughs> Colonel Panic. Uh, Jamie, do you have a way for people to reach you on the internet? I do. I'm on Twitter and I'm at Word Girly. Did you start your website yet? Uh, yeah. I'm, I, okay. So it's up, but it doesn't have everything I want on it. But yes, it's up. <laughs> all right. And I'm at Scathing Tweets. And of course, West Coast Project is our website with all of our other feeds for our, our other podcasts. But next week on Mr. Robot, episode four is init one, two init one, 2.2 init one, initialize. Um, yeah, eps two dot two init one dot A-S-E-C. I'm still struggling with these freaking numbers, man. Like, how are we two apart now? We should be one apart. Um, yeah, because the, there were the two episodes that... Um, were part of one they, like they were really it was two hours of, of television and they're named differently but it's really one episode so it's two though it's so it's zero and one are one and two and two is three how is 2.2 maybe I wrote it down wrong because look let me look at this one again okay. not that it freaking matters but I guess I'm, I guess they may have they may have just done it this way. So okay, so they did 2.0 part one and part two, still 2.0. So that made 2.1 number three. That's uh -huh. where those two the the space of two comes in. So anyway, it's <laughs> a long way of saying that episode season two episode four is EPS 2.2 INIT one dot ASEC. Right. All right, Jamie. So I'll see you next week for that one. Okay, cool.